But last week, Pastor talked about purity, everybody's favorite subject, right? <laughs> purity. We come to church, we feel like we're we feel like we're filthy rags, or some of us we're prideful and we think we've got it all together. But most of us are honest enough to to believe that we don't have it all together, and we just don't feel good coming before the Lord. And then we hear a message about purity, and then we feel even less like <laughs> less like we're we're good enough. Um, but today we're we're beginning a a series called Upper Room. And I want you to understand something about the upper room, and it's that the upper room consisted of a bunch of disciples who really didn't feel like they were good enough. I mean, they watched their leader go through misery and total shame before the government. And, and you know, in their minds, they were thinking, man, Jesus, is, he's, he's going to step his game up. We're going to have the military is going to take over. We're going to overthrow the Roman. Uh, uh, the, we're going to overthrow the, the, the Romans, and we're going we're gonna to take this thing. And then they just beat the snot out of Jesus. And their countenance, their spirit, everything about them is totally broken. They remember back, I'm sure, to all the things that Jesus said to them about, uh, you know, how, no, no, you're not right here, and you need to fix this, and, and you know, we're not going to call fire down on people, and, and all of these things, and they just, they just felt like, man, we're just not good enough. Of course, after that, Jesus rises and, and meets with them, and I'm sure they're totally, first of all, spooked and confused as to who they are in the process. And then Jesus says, I will be with you always. And then he leaves them. (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks, Jesus. (laughs) So now they're waiting. And Jesus tells them before, uh, before he leaves, he says that he's going to send them a helper. So you know what that means? I need help, right? We all need help. We all need help. Um, Because the reality is that, uh, well, I'll I'll be real clear with you and, and real just transparent. You come over to my house and, uh, 50% 50% of the time, at least, it will not be clean. You say, oh, man, a pastor should always have everything all together. Well, now let me be transparent with you. I don't always have it all together. Just like you oftentimes don't. But there was a, a, a time here recently where I decided I need to go through and just purge and get rid of all the junk. If you've got kids, you know about junk. Every time a birthday comes along, every time Christmas comes along, and every day they come home from school, they've got junk with them that goes somewhere in the house. And then, you, you know, you and I, we, we tend to bring junk home as well. And so I just started to see all this stuff, and I said, Lord, I got to get rid of all this stuff. And so we just started throwing stuff away or giving it away or putting it in bags. And uh, I started to see some space in the house. It felt like I could breathe again. It felt like there was some freedom I could have. 
And uh, I want to tell you something about getting things in order. It's that when your life is in order, you can receive blessings. When, when you've got things taken care of, when, when you've got it straightened up and cleaned up, now you can receive the blessings of life. But when you've got a mess, the blessings of life don't feel like blessings. They feel like one more thing to have to deal with. Um, we all deal with junk in our lives. Every single one of us. You've got baggage. You've got junk. And here's the thing about the junk. When we're around people, why do we want our house clean? Because we want them to accept us. Why do you dress the way you dress? Because you want them to accept you. You see, there's this innate thing inside of us to be wanted and to be around and to be accepted and to be loved by people around us. Sons and daughters want their parents to approve of them. And fathers and mothers want to know that they have raised their children well and also that they're loved and respected. There's a approval and acceptance a healthy relationship standard that we all desire. We desire for our children to grow up and still love us when they're out of our house and still respect us when they're out of our house and, 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 and still be there for us when they're out of our house. We have this, this desire for relationship, almost as if we were created to be in relationship. And we fear something. Because if we were created to be in relationship and we're not good enough to be in relationship with God, then now we have to react to that. And some of us react by saying, God, if I'm not good enough for you, I'm not going to be the one who's rejected. I'm going to reject you. And we run from God somehow pretending that our rejection of God is a way of not being rejected because really we don't want to feel rejected. Others of us, we approach God, but we know we've got some things that aren't quite right, and so we only get so close. We don't want to get beyond, we don't want to get so close he can see you with a microscope. Just stay back just far enough. You can't really tell what's going on right here at this level, so I'm good right here. I'm a pretty good person, so I'm in right stand. I'm at least facing you, but there's a distance. And some of us, very few, approach God in true humility fear and trembling and honesty with our face down. But the reality is that none of us are good enough. The one running away, the one who's only so close, or the one whose face is in the ground before the Lord, none of us are really good enough to be in relationship with him.
Now, if I left the story there, it'd be a pretty sad story, wouldn't it? But that's not where the story ends. That's not how God ends it. But listen to this. Psalm 14, 2 through 3 says this. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, no, not even one. Now, here's the thing. We think we've done good. (laughs) The psalmist didn't think that. And God doesn't think that when he looks at us. There's no one righteous. There's no one good. None of us are good enough to be in relationship with a holy, perfect God. So now we've got a conundrum. Now we've got an issue we've got to deal with. You have an issue that we have to deal with. Because understanding God is understanding that God has all of this grace ready to be poured out. And we know God as the God of love, the God defined by love. Matter of fact, the world knows God primarily and only by the fact that God loves. If God is real, then God must love. And so we get caught up in this this aspect of God. But the reality is, that we aren't even good enough to approach him to ask for it. However, that isn't the end of the story. There is a way for you to clean up your act. And that, my friends, is called atonement. That's a weird word, I know. We don't use it in English talking to each other, but there's a power behind the word atonement. And if you've under, if you understand atonement, it will begin to change the things in your life. Now, there's a difference between atonement and anointing, but they go hand in hand. We love the anointing. We're Pentecostals. We get excited over the anointing. We come we come down to the altar and we say, "God, pour out your anointing." Pour out your spirit. Now, why am I bringing this up today? Well, it's because we're in a series that's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Spirit upon the church. That's an anointing. But as we look throughout the scripture, there's a process that God puts in place. And if you jump in front of the process, if you get the cart before the horse, You're going to get messed up. There's a process that we've got to get down, and it begins with atonement, and we have to understand the atoning power of God in our life because it changes not only our perspective, but it changes our strategy as we approach life. You see, atonement is freely and liberally available to all who apply it through faith. 
There's an application process. You see, the blood was shed and the sacrifice was made. That's done. The price is paid. But there's an application that still has to be made. And if you don't apply it, it's not on you. If you don't apply it, it's not on you. The old Pentecostals would say, they, they would go around pleading the blood. I plead the blood over this, and I plead the blood over that, and I plead the blood over this. And, and that, that term seems crazy and weird. But they're talking about, they're talking about the atonement over our lives. We plead the atonement over our children. We plead the atonement over our homes. We plead the atonement over our lives. And there's something powerful that happens behind that when you understand what you're saying. You're not good enough on your own, but with the atonement, you're good enough. So let me not scare you away. Don't be afraid to approach God. Instead, come as you are, but don't leave as you came. Come as you are, bring it before him, but don't leave as you came. In the Old Testament, when someone would sin, their responsibility was to present themselves before the priests. And they would present themselves before the priest and they would confess, yes, I've sinned, I'm aware of my sin. And then an atonement would take place. A process would take place that would cover that sin. Or the word atonement actually uh, means to cover or to satisfy the debt. Okay? And so there was a process that God had put into place. I know it's weird. We don't practice animal sacrifice today for a reason. Um, And that's because it's done. It's settled. But the application of the atonement is still present for today. And it's something that we have to do in our lives. In every great move of God, there is a holiness that precedes the outpouring of the Spirit. In the late 19th century, America experienced what has been called the holiness movement, where the Methodists up in the north began to preach, there is something more that God wants for you. It is a level of holiness. It's a process. It's a sanctification. And they began to preach about living right and coming before God and laying it all down and preaching the atonement. And as they preached that, people began to come to the Lord, lay down the junk, and allow the blood of the sacrifice of Christ to cover the junk in their life, pleading over it, and then something powerful happened in the early 20th century. In the early 20th century, following this holiness movement across America was a movement that has become known as the Pentecostal movement. The Pentecostal movement follows the holiness movement for a reason. The spirit, the outpouring of the spirit follows those who submit themselves to Christ and lay down their lives and get rid of the junk going on in their lives, not out of their own power, but out of the power of the atoning work of the cross.
what happened in the 20th century when the Spirit was poured out? You see, there's something about anointing following atonement that's powerful. Atonement makes you pure. Atonement cleans you up. But anointing fills you up. And anointing gives you ministry. God doesn't empty us out to leave us empty. He empties us out to fill us with his goodness and his power and his strength so that they could go and do ministry. The outpouring of the Spirit came, and many people decided, hey, I've got this. The Lord has filled me with power. I'm going to go take this somewhere. And we had world revival. We had missionaries who traveled around the world to countries who had never heard of the gospel before. And in the 20th century, we've seen the church grow faster than it ever has in all of history. And why is that? Because a group of people decided to seek after God and to apply the atonement. Last week, Pastor talked about purity of intention or purity of our hearts, getting our hearts set right before the Lord. And today, I want to talk about the process as we move forward here, the process of applying the blood to make us pure. To understand atonement, we must first understand that God never changes And he has certain character qualities that are always true. One of those character qualities about God is that he is just. And if God is just and he is loving, then he must have a way to reconcile justice and love. And so that is called atonement. Because God is just, sin must have a consequence. Now, we'd like to argue our way out of that. But we can't. Because God never changes. He is always just, and he is always loving. The Bible says something very interesting about the love of God, though. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sin. In the Old Testament, the word for atonement actually means to cover. Actually, the the word means it's referring to the atonement cover, the what we would call a lid or what you might have heard of as the the mercy seat that sat upon the box that held the law of God. And he says that love covers a multitude of sins. His process in in, in, in carrying out justice is love. You see, this was the place where the atonement 
was applied to the law. Literally, the blood was applied to the lid over the law. And that's what we need in our lives. So, yes, God is love. 1 John 4, 8 through 10 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. You see, God pours out his grace to us through atonement which means that he is both loving and just at the same time. This is God's process. And the key that we need to understand is that it is a process. If I was a sinner and I came before the priest and I wanted to be made clean, it didn't just happen. There was a process First, I had to approach the priest. I had to bring something with me. You don't have to bring anything with you because the sacrifice has already been made. But they had to bring something with them. And then there was a process where the priest had to go through these rituals before the person could be deemed clean. The process is something that I think we should understand because it helps us when we get ready to apply atonement in our life, when we get ready to plead the blood over our life, when we get ready to see God do some changes in our family and the people around us. But it doesn't work if you don't understand it. Let me clarify, the payment for sin is already complete. Jesus became our sacrifice. We don't need any other sacrifice. We don't need him to die for us again and again and again. He did it once and for all. But the New Testament uses the word propitiation, which is another word for satisfaction. The Apostle John was saying that what Jesus did was enough to satisfy the debt of sin. What Jesus did is enough to satisfy sin. And sin is not just in what you do, but it's in what you don't do. Sin is not in just what you do or don't do, but where you are, what you receive, who you're around. As a matter of fact, there is no possible way you can avoid sin in a broken and fallen world. It is all around you, in and through you, throughout you. The only thing that separates you from sin is the atoning sacrifice of Christ. That's it. There is no way around it. And so if we don't apply it, now we're affected by that sin. In the Old Testament, we see that the atonement was applied generally to everyone. When the high priest made atonement for the people every year by applying it to the Ark of the Covenant law. Now, once a year, there was a day called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, he would go through this ritual and he would first, he would 
make atonement for himself, and then he would make atonement for the people. But that wasn't the only time atonement was used in the Bible because it was also required of each individual that if you recognized that there was something in your life that wasn't right, you were supposed to present yourself before the priest and have a personal atonement made. And there's a beautiful imagery that happens here uh, as that God creates in this process that I believe that you can apply to your life today. The atonement was applied in four different areas. And I believe those four different areas are significant and powerful and that they mean something. In Leviticus chapter 14, this is one of the areas in the Bible where we see this, but it says that the priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Now, some of us think, well, that just sounds silly. You put in blood on different areas of the body. But I think there's something here that we can grasp that we can begin to apply to our lives. The application of the blood. And then later in Leviticus 14 chapter uh, verse 17 through 18, it says, "And some of the oil that remains in his hand, now he's moving to anointing." Do you see that? Do you see do you see what's happening? Atonement and then following atonement becomes the anointing. He says, "And some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, and on the top of the blood of the guilt offering. On top of the blood comes the anointing. And then verse 18, it says, "And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand shall be put on the head of him who is to be cleansed." Then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. There's a process that God wants to put in place. You want to receive more from God, you have, there's a process that we follow. Application of the anointing, or application of atonement, and then following that we receive anointing. So let's first talk about the ear. Why in the world would God ask that we atone? That, that we apply the atonement to the ear. Well, I believe he said that we should apply it to the ear because there is sin that we receive. You hear it, you see it. He didn't say put it on your eye because that would be disgusting. He didn't say put it on your tongue because they couldn't, they couldn't eat blood. That was against the law. He said put it on the ear as an illustration to say, listen, What you're listening to matters. You need atonement over that. You've been listening to lies, gossip, junk. You need atonement over what you're receiving into your life. 
think about that for a second. What are the things that you allow into your life, that you receive into your life, that you never deal with, that you need atonement for, that you need a covering for? If you're going to receive what God has for you, those things need to be covered up by the righteousness of the blood of Christ. You've got to cover those things. And so the first place is the ear or the hearing. In Luke chapter 8, verse 18, the scripture says, Take care how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. I want you to grasp this. We want to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want the anointing of God in our life. But first, we have to deal with the things we're receiving into our lives, and we need to apply the blood to those things. We need to plead the blood over those things, whether that's what you've been watching, whether that's what you've been reading, whether that's Facebook or Netflix or whatever it might be that you're receiving into your spirit that is causing a divide between you and the most holy God, there's an atonement that you need to apply. And the thumb. Now, why in the world would he ask us to put blood on, a, on, on the right thumb? Well, I believe he's asking us to put atonement on the things that we're doing. Because there are things that we do knowingly and unknowingly that are not right, that hurt someone else. They don't quite measure up to the level that God wants us to measure up to. And so I believe that God wants us to apply the atonement to the things in our life that we're doing. Apply the atonement to your job. Apply the atonement to your parenting. Apply the atonement to your to your relationship with your with your spouse and, and 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 your neighbor and those that are around you. Where are you applying the atonement? Where are you pleading the blood over your life? Are you pleading the blood over your children, over your parenting, over your job? Are you pleading the blood over those things to make atonement for those things in your life? James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, God wants to deal not only with the things we're receiving, but with the things that we're doing. He has to deal with those things. And even as blood-washed saints There are things in our life that we need to continue to plead the blood over. We need to continue to ask God, cover these things in my life with the power of the blood of Christ. But then we have the thumb. I'm sorry, the toe. Why would he ask us to put blood on the big toe of the right foot? Just wants us to kick the kick the sin out, I guess. No, I believe he asks us to put the blood on the toe because there are paths in your life that are not right. 
there's a foundation in your life that might not be right. There's a direction that you're heading that might not be right. And we have to apply the power of the blood of the cross to the direction of our life. We have to ask God, Lord, I don't want to do this on my own. I need you in my life to give me direction, to fix the stupid things I've done in the past, to cover up the the direction that I've gone that has been astray, that has gotten me off the course, that has gotten me away from where you want me to go. I need you to cover that so that I can follow you now. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. Now, in the New Testament, we hear about the application of the oil. As a matter of fact, every Sunday, uh, we will usually have an opportunity for people to come down to the front to be prayed for. And when we do, the people who are up here at the front will put oil on their hands. Why do they do that? Why do they put oil on their hands? Well... Because in the anointing, through the atonement, God provides healing. Did you capture that? Through the anointing, but by the, uh, I'm sorry, through the atonement, but through the anointing. You got it? He's doing both together at the same time, bringing those two together. And what happens is we're made right before God and we're filled with his righteousness and things are corrected. We receive from him the good things. So the last place where the atonement is satisfied, where it's totally filled, is the head. We need to apply the oil or the Holy Spirit to our minds. Amen. Oftentimes we think we know better than God. We think we know better. I've got this thing figured out, God. I'm not doing it your way. I'm going to go my way. I have a plan and my plan is better than your plan and we're going to go this way and it's going to be successful. And then you go that way and it's not successful. And then you beat yourself over the head. You know, the word repentance actually means to change your mind. It doesn't mean to say you're sorry. And sometimes the preachers would get it up and they would say, repent, repent. Turn around and repent. Come down the altar and repent. And people would come down, they'd repent. They'd say they were sorry. They'd get up and go live their lives the same way they came in. That's not repentance. 
Repentance is when you come in, you lay it down at the altar, you apply the, uh, the, the, the atonement, you receive the anointing, and you leave different than you came in. Because there's a change that happens in your thinking, and it's not natural. This is a supernatural thing that happens when you say, God, I need you to change what's going on in here. I need you to give me a new perspective and way of thinking. And it comes through a process of first laying it all down and presenting yourself before the priest. Now, who's the priest you present yourself before? It's not me, and it's not pastor. It's the high priest. It's the priest who, who reigns on high, who, sta- who sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the high priest and the sacrifice for your atonement. Here's the thing about atonement. You can't apply atonement to yourself. The atonement has to be applied by the priests. And Jesus is the one who applies the atonement to those who present themselves before him. Don't be afraid to come before God. Come as you are, but don't leave as you came. You see, repentance is an intentional effort to about face, to turn around from destructive thinking and to submit to God. This might be the sin of pride and arrogance in your life. Now, this is a tough one to deal with. The sin of pride is so deep and so hidden and so secretive, or we think it is anyways, God wants to deal with that stuff in our lives. And you know how he deals with it? Not through your strength. Not through you saying, I can't, I'm just going to stop doing that. It comes by kneeling at the cross and receiving the atonement from Jesus. It comes from saying, God, I can't do this on my own. You've paid the price. Apply it to every area of my life, the secret areas, the hidden areas, the obvious areas. I can't do it, but I know that you can apply this in my life and change me. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. This morning, I'd like to invite uh, someone to come play music as we get ready to end the message today. You see, I believe that God is waiting in heaven with all the grace and all the gifts and all the things he wants to pour out into our lives. The thing that holds him back from pouring out this grace in our lives is that we have junk in ours. We've got stuff in our lives that we have not allowed Jesus to apply the blood to. We've said, you know, 
I just, I can't give this particular part of me up. Or we've just avoided God altogether in that area of our lives. And so this morning, I believe that if we as a church would all be of one mind and of one accord, if we would all seek to just say, you know what? There's obvious sin in my life. There's secret sin in my life. And there is sin in my life I don't even know about. Did you know that in the Old Testament they had to apply atonement to unknown sin? Because none of us is righteous before God until the atonement is applied. I pray that each of you, when you leave today, you would plead the blood over all the areas of your life. Plead it over your children. Plead it over over your job. Plead it over your home. They had to make atonement for their homes, believe it or not. Plead it over the areas of your life. And ask God to come in, take out the junk, and fill it with his presence. I believe that God is waiting in heaven for his people to turn to him and receive the atoning work of Christ and to prepare themselves for the outpouring of his spirit. You see, we're all vessels. We can be vessels of the Holy Spirit or we can be vessels of junk. The world has been turned upside down by regular people who said enough is enough. I'm getting rid of my junk and I'm just going to let Jesus use me as a vessel. Regular people made God a priority. Regular people came to Jesus by kneeling at an altar and they got up as different people. We can be that next story. We can be that next revival that the world hears about. They say, I don't know what they did, but they did something right. I'll tell you what the right thing is. When we follow history, when we look back, it's when people honestly seek God and lay down their lives and say, you know what? I'm done with the junk. I'm going to lay it at the foot of the cross and I'm going to let Jesus use me. Revival starts when we let go of dead things in our life and embrace our new life in Christ. Let me invite you to come as you are, but don't leave as you came. Come as you are, but don't leave as you came. When you approach God, ask him, Lord, there's some junk in my life I know about. There's some junk in my life I don't know about. And there's some junk in my life that I've been receiving from outside sources. I need you to cover all of it. I need you to cover everything and fill me with your presence. Let me invite you to stand this morning. I want us to seek God honestly and purely with our hearts. I believe over the next few weeks what's going to happen is we're going to continue to seek him. He's going to get rid of some junk that's happening in our church. 
And as he does that, he's going to begin to fill us with the power of his spirit. And I believe on Pentecost Sunday, we're going to see people filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if not before that. And I believe on that Sunday night, we're going to see more people baptized in the Holy Spirit. But it comes when we say, you know what? There's some things that are going on in me that need the work of the cross applied to. Let me invite you this morning to come down to the front and confess those things to the Lord. If you're uh, on our altar team, if you'd come down to the front as well to help anyone who needs uh, assistance with praying. But I'd like to invite you to come to the altar and just to begin to confess your life to the Lord. Confess those things in your life that you know about. Confess those things in your life that you don't know about. Confess your children to the Lord. Ask the Lord to cover your family and your friends. Ask the Lord to cover your, uh, your, your job and to cover your home and those people around you. Would you make your way down to the front this morning as we pray together? And then after that, we'll dismiss. difficulties in life, those who are dealing with infirmities, illnesses, and illnesses in their family. And I thank you, Lord, that the blood of Jesus pays the price for us. I plead the blood over each and every one of us in this room today, Lord. I declare over us, Lord, that you would make us white as snow, that every sin in our life would be washed clean. Lord, that you would wash over us in your presence. And I pray, God, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would rest upon us. I pray for those, Lord, who are dealing with sicknesses and diseases and hurts and pains. Lord, that the ministry of the atonement would would heal them, Lord that they would receive the healing power of your blood in their lives, Lord. You gave it all up. You became a a curse on a tree for us to break every curse. And by your wounds, 
wounds. By your stripes, oh Lord God, we receive healing. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. I pray, God, as we leave from this place, that we would be washed clean in your presence and that you would fill us with the power of your spirit over us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you guys for joining us today. Pastor David is headed out into the foyer. If you are a guest with us, you can meet with him. If you haven't turned your guest card in yet, uh, you can give it to him. And uh, we hope to see you again next week. God bless you.